Good evening, everybody. You guys doing okay? Yeah, holding up right? Cool. Okay, so we're going to be continuing our journey through Hosea. If you haven't been here over the past two weeks, I do encourage you to go back onto our website, listen back to the past two sermons, one by Chris and one by Adrian. Uh, They were really, really good. But we're going to be picking up at Hosea 11. Okay, and we're going to read. So if you, does anyone need a physical Bible? That's going to be up on the PowerPoint, but does anyone need a physical one? No? We're all good? Great. Okay, so I'm going to read. If it went next. When Israel was a child, I loved him. And out of Egypt, I called my son. But the more they were called, the more they went away from me. They sacrificed to the Baals. And they burned incense to images. It was I who taught Ephraim to walk, taking them by the arms, but they did not realize it was I who healed them. I led them with cords of human kindness, with ties of love. To them I was like one who lifts a little child to the cheek, and I bent down to feed them. Will they not return to Egypt, and will will not Assyria rule over them, because they refuse to repent? A sword will flash in their cities, it will devour their false prophets, and put an end to their plans. My people are determined to turn from me, even though they call me God Most High. I will by no means exalt them. How can I hand you over, Israel? How can I treat you like Adma? How can I make you like Zeboam? My heart has changed within me. All my compassion is aroused. I will not carry out my fierce anger, nor will I devastate Ephraim again, for I am God and not a man, the Holy One among you. I will not come against their cities. They will follow the Lord. He will roar like a lion. When he roars, his children will come trembling from the west. They will come from Egypt, trembling like sparrows, from Assyria, fluttering like doves, and I'll settle them in their home, declares the Lord. Hear the word of our Lord. Thanks be to God. Great. Okay, so we, as I said, we're going through the book of Hosea. We've kind of, over the course of two weeks, we've done 10 chapters. It was quite a lot. Thank goodness Henry decided to give me one chapter this week, chapter 11. But just before we get started unpacking that passage, I'm going to do a little bit of a quiz with you guys just to kind of see if you guys were paying attention. If you weren't here, that's fine. Uh, But it's just a bit of a general knowledge quiz of Hosea and stuff that we've uh, kind of gone through already. There is a posh lolly if you get it right, okay? You guys laugh, but who doesn't want one of these? Okay, so question number one, put up your hand. What was Hosea's wife's name? Coco. Goma. Okay, well done. In which century was Hosea a prophet? Okay, 700s or the 8th century BC. Sorry. Oh, great catch. Okay, and the last one. To which kingdom was Hosea sent to prophesy? Israel, which is the... Okay, well, it was a kingdom. 
was divided. Okay, Judah was the south, Israel was the north. Okay, sorry, Keith, sorry there. Okay, so the northern kingdom, Israel. Okay, so as we've unpacked this, the, these are kind of some of the things that uh, we've been having a look at. And I've got a quick discussion question for you guys. Could you turn to the person next to you? What set ancient Israel apart from other nations? Okay, I'm going to give you two minutes. Chat to the person next to you. What do you think set ancient Israel apart from other nations? Okay, can I get some answers? What do you guys think? What set ancient Israel apart from all other nations? What made them unique? Jen, they were called to have no other gods. Okay, great. Chosen people, what does that mean? Fantastic. Okay, so you guys have it. Okay, I can go and sit down. That's great. Something that set Israel apart from the rest of the nations was their relationship with God. Okay, you guys have it, that covenantal relationship. Israel wasn't the greatest nation around them. They were shadowed by these massive empires, and we kind of see it within their history. They were passed around a little bit. Okay, they weren't a military force to be reckoned with. They weren't like the wealthiest nation in the world, except for under Solomon. They weren't like there was nothing in them, in their true essence, like just if you looked at them, that set them apart and made them any different or made them superior to any other nation. But what we see in the life of Israel is this relationship with God that set them apart from everyone else. Israel was called, was God's chosen people, and it was this devotion to God and God alone. Okay. And we see this in Deuteronomy 6.4, which is called the Shema, which is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And something that we see in this is that what set Israel apart was that their cultic and their cultural identity was absolutely set in the one God, Yahweh. Okay, the word Lord there is their personal name, Yahweh, their God the person who they've pledged absolute devotion to. So cultural identity for them as a nation, they saw themselves as Israel, that who they were was somebody who contends with God. It's in their name, Israel. So their relationship with God, this covenantal relationship with God that was established through Abraham, that was established through Isaac, that was established through Jacob, established through David, all throughout their history was this relationship with God. They were God's chosen people. And within their worship, they were called to worship this one God alone, Yahweh. Okay, so much so, this forms such a big part of their identity as a nation that the Shema probably was recited daily as their morning prayers. Okay, as some people will often say, the Lord's Prayer, the Shema was their massive thing. It was who they were. As a nation, as an entire entity, their sense of validation, their sense of purpose, and their sense of self-affirmation was found in who they were under God. And that was God's chosen people. And something that was absolutely incredible in that was we see this covenantal relationship that wasn't just one-sided, was that God was at work in the life of Israel. 
We see that it was God was present. There was this relational, this transcendent God, this God that is above everything, this God that created absolutely everything, had stepped down and chosen Israel as God's chosen people that they might be a blessing to all other peoples. We see that in the, in the covenant with Abraham so that they can point to this relationability of God, which is our called purpose in this world. It is why we were created. We were created to walk in relationship with God, and we were called to worship God. Okay, so that's just a little bit of context of what's going on in the nation of Israel. And then that is what we see throughout the Old Testament is this cultic and this cultural devotion to the one God alone. And this God, this Yahweh's devotion to Israel as his chosen people. Okay. So we're going to be doing things a little bit differently this evening. Um, I'm going to ask the hospitality team to please hand out pieces of paper and a pen. Um, yeah, so if you don't want one of, oh, sorry, there should be pens in the um, offering kits. Please don't nick those. Okay, they do belong to the church. God's not going to be very happy if you steal from us. Okay, um, this is going to be a time where we're going to go into God's Word. We're going to unpack what's coming across in this passage of Scripture. But what I would love for you guys to do is for you to engage with this however you do. It's between you and God. Okay, so I'd love to encourage you to kind of like separate yourselves from everyone else. Step outside of your comfort zone and let's spend some time with God as we unpack His Word and as we go deeper into this. At the, you've got a pen, you've got a paper. Okay, at the same time, there's, a, there's like newsprint down there with a whole bunch of colored Sharpies. Okay, if you are a creative type and you're very visual and you want to go and draw and write and do something prophetic over there, please feel free to do so. Okay, this is between you and God. Again, please don't nick those Sharpies. Those belong to the youth. Ned will hunt you down. Okay. So cool. While those go around. Just while those go around, I want to ask the question to you. We've had a look at who God was to the nation of Israel. He was everything. He was the foundation of their identity as a nation. He was their foundation of their identity as a people. Um, I want to ask you, when you close your eyes, how do you see God? When you close your eyes, how do you see God? Write it on that piece of paper. You can go and draw it down over there. What are the emotions that come up when you try to visualize God? What do you picture in your head? Do you picture some old white guy with a long beard sitting up on clouds? You struggle to picture something. Is it more an emotion that comes to mind? What is it? Again, this is between you and God. This is a very interactive thing. Don't worry about the people around you. I wonder, what do you see when you close your eyes? How do you picture God? We're going to move on, but I would like for you to please, during the course of this whole thing, we're going to be unpacking a whole bunch of imagery of God. Um, and I would love to you to kind of, however you engage with that, to write it down, take notes, draw pictures, whatever it might be. This is between you and God. This is worship. 
This is to you spending some time with him, engaging with him, trying to grow in your relationship with him. Okay, so just stepping back into that context that we kind of spoke about, what in the book of Hosea, what we start seeing is it was written around 700, in the middle of the 700 of the 8th century. Uh, and it was during a time where we see Isaiah coming through. It was during a time where Israel had kind of stepped away from God. There was absolute prosperity. They were surrounded by these like super wealthy nations. It was a very, very rich kingdom. Like there was writings of them sleeping on beds of ivory. Okay, get away from the ethical thing of that. But like that's really rich. Okay, I've got an Ikea bed. These guys have things made out of elephant tusks. Um, It was a very, very wealthy nation. But they had compromised their faith and their belief in the one God by engaging with the idols, engaging with the gods of the Canaanites, namely Baal. Okay, and a big part of this was we start seeing this worshiping of their fertility gods um, and engaging in fertility rituals uh, so that they can try and increase their wealth. Okay, they'd stepped away from God, we start seeing that. But what we start seeing in the life of Israel and the life of God's chosen people is, Isaiah calls it, Behold, I am doing something new. We start seeing the writing of and the compilation of the Torah, which is the first five books of the Bible. We start seeing God's people um, being kind of uh, people saying that you're not bound by where you are. Our identity as a people is not bound by national geographic boundaries, but we are a people who are devoted to this one God and this one God alone. We see this identity start coming out and these prophets starting to call and saying, come back to God, come back to this relationship with God. Okay, it's this deconstruction and reconstruction of the idea of who God is. And elsewhere in Hosea, we see this imagery as a married couple between Hosea and Goma, that he's married to a prostitute. A lot of scholars believe that it was um, more her engaging in Canaanite rituals, fertility rituals, than actually what we understand as prostitution today, which in an extent is even worse because what that would have involved would have been like group orgies and the sacrifices of firstborns to and ball. So it was really intense stuff. Okay. And now what we move on to from that is another covenantal relationship. We see God reflected as father. When Israel was a child, I loved him. And out of Egypt, I called my son. But the more they called, the more they went away from me. They sacrificed to the balls and they burned incense to images. It was I who taught Ephraim to walk, taking them by the arms, but they did not realize it was I who healed them. I led them with cords of human kindness, with ties of love. To them I was like one who lifts a little child to the cheek, and I bent down to feed them. I wonder when you closed your eyes and you thought about God, how did you picture him? Okay, what we start seeing here is a reframing of God as father, as the father of these people, not some distant far off person who kind of like looks at us and glares, but rather somebody who's intimately involved in the life of his people. The transcendent God made eminent 
through the relationship of the father. So this is my daughter, Myla. Oh, okay. You know when you speak, when you're given a talk about the father heart of God and you've got a newborn, okay, you're going to bring it in. Okay, she is going to be nine months this coming week. Um, she's pretty cute, eh? So she looks a lot like her mom. Um, something that I've learned about God and about myself by having a daughter is that I love this child. Like, I, I love, I love, I love this child. Okay, she is really, really cute. She is really, really annoying. She keeps us awake at night. Um, she screams and all of that kind of stuff. But I absolutely adore her. Okay, I don't love her for what she does. I love her for who she is. And she is my daughter. It is an unconditional love that transcends all circumstances. It's an unconditional love that she can't do anything to make me love her anymore, and she can't do anything to make me love her any less, even though she's tried. Because my love for her is not defined by what she does. It's defined by who she is. She is my daughter, and she is a child of God. And when we look at this relationship, this father relationship with God, that's what we start seeing, is that God isn't just this far-off person who looks at Israel and glares, but he's this God, this father, who loves them with this unconditional love. In the Greek, it's this agape love that we know that is this unconditional love of God because he doesn't, just, he doesn't love them for what they do. He loves them for who they are. They are God's chosen people. It's their identity. It's part of who they are. It's fundamentally who they are. And we start seeing imagery of God drawing their children closer. He picks them up. He kisses them on the cheek. There's this imagery of him using drawing lines, which would have been strings that they would have kind of like tied on the baby's arms to help them crawl and to help them stand and to bring them closer. It's this intricate involvement in their lives. And what um, Hosea is saying to Israel is, Look back to your past. Look back to who you were in the beginning. Remember that God who led you out of Egypt. Remember that God who led you through Sinai. Remember that God who gave you all of this land. Remember that God who strengthened Samson. Remember that God who was with David. Remember that God who is there, who is eminent, who is involved in our lives, who loves us. That is the God of Israel. That is your Yahweh. I wonder when you close your eyes, how you picture God. Something that Myla's taught me is what God's fatherly love is. Um, so my background, um, I don't have a great relationship with my dad. I was abused um, for as long as I can remember. Um, daily beatings, there was physical, emotional, and sometimes sexual abuse. Um, for as far back as I can remember. Um, when prepping this, I realized that the only person that I've told about the sexual abuse that my dad used to give me was my mom, and was, uh, was, is Megan. I've never actually said it out loud. And one of the things that comes from that is a lot of shame. That when I look at how my dad treated me, and there's still today, there's a lot of baggage that goes with that. There's a lot of stuff that I unpacked. There's a lot of this... Um, kind of hurt a lot of this anger. I struggle to see God as father because to me, 
father was a negative thing. Father meant fear. Father meant abuse. Father meant somebody who I had to do so and so, this and this and this and this to try and be approved of, to win his approval, to win his love, because there must be something fundamentally wrong with me that this man doesn't love me. And something that's absolutely amazing is when I look at my daughter, I just see this love. I just see this father's love. And I wonder in your life, when we look at the father love of God, is there something in your life that's distorting the way that you view God? Do you see God as this all-loving person who just wants to bring you into relationship with him? Do you see God as this father who wants to walk with you? I miss this girl every second that I'm apart from her. Okay, one of my highlights of my day is waking up and seeing her smiling at me. Okay, um, and then going, when I can, going home and giving her a kiss before she goes to bed. How do you, is there stuff in your life that is stopping you from viewing yourself and viewing God the way that he is? Because there's a verse that came up that says, I am God, I am not man. We're going to have a little bit of ministry time later. And I would love it if you have a negative relationship with your father. And that's impacting the way that you view God. If there's something in your life, your insecurities, something that's happened, a circumstance that makes you view God as anything less than an all-loving father, good, good father who wants to walk in a relationship with you. We're going to have some ministry time. We would love to pray through that with you. How do you see God? Okay, so in the first bit of this thing, Hosea says that even though you have sinned, you must remember that God is this all-loving Father, this God that was with us from the beginning, this God who is above everything else, this God who loves us intimately and wants to be involved in our lives. But what happens? What do we do? We rebel. Okay, so will, not they, will they not return to Egypt? Will not Assyria rule over them? Because they refuse to repent. A sword will flash in their cities. It will devour their false prophets and put an end to their plans. My people are determined to turn from me. Even though they call me God most high, I will by no means exalt them. Okay. Being in youth ministry um, is something that's really, really interesting. So with my daughter, Myla, I absolutely love her. She started speaking. She can say four words at the moment. First one was dada, obviously. Okay. The next one was mama. Then was no. Okay. With that tone. And she's just started over the past few, last few days saying, hey, Okay. As a hello. Um, it's really, really cute. And she started crawling and she's like, pulling herself up on the bars and that kind of stuff. And she's in such an enjoyable stage in her life. But I want her to grow up. Okay, I'm going to miss that stage. I'm going to miss that cuddle, those cuddles. At the moment, she is completely dependent on Megan and myself for her food, for absolutely everything, okay, because she, she's a very intelligent baby, but babies as a whole just aren't very smart, 
okay? Like, she will crawl down the step. If we don't have those safety barrier things, she would crawl down the step and, like, face plant, okay? And then do it again and do it again and do it again because she's just not that intelligent, okay? Because she's a baby. But what I want for her is I want her to walk. I want her to grow. And as much as it's going to hurt me, I want her to shift away from that dependency on Megan and myself um, to be more independent. Okay, and statistically, something that I love about youth ministry is that 60% of people will leave the church before the age of 14. Okay, on the reverse of that, 75% of people who will stay in the church will make a personal decision to follow Jesus by the age of 14 and a half. Okay, and the reason for that is psychologically when teenagers start developing is that they start finding independence. They start questioning everything. Okay, if you've got any teenagers, I can see parents nodding. Okay, they challenge you. Okay, and a big part of that is that they don't want to just be identified by who you are. They want to find their own identity. Okay, they start questioning their values. They start questioning the stuff that they grew up on. And one of the first things that goes is the religion that they've grown up with. Okay, because they start taking ownership and founding independence in their lives. Okay, and where the church has failed young people is that we failed to navigate them through that stage and empower them to take ownership of their faith. Okay, and that's something that we take very seriously in our youth ministry here at St. Barnabas Church. But what we start seeing here in the life of Israel is that as they were completely dependent on God in the beginning, they've grown up, okay? And they've found independence, and they've gone off on their own path, but unfortunately have chosen the wrong path. As children grow and with independence comes choice. And what we start seeing is that they become complacent, they become comfortable, They start compromising their devotion to the one God. They forget about God, and they turn to idols. They turn to Baal. They turn to worshiping this comfort and this fertility as opposed to remembering the God who carried them, the God who led them through. I wonder how much of this reflects in our own lives. Henry spoke about going into a time of renewal, and the reason why I've spoken like this on this specific topic and given it, asked you to reflect personally is that if we want our church, if we want our nation, if we want our communities, if we want our world to encounter God, to be renewed, a fresh movement of the Holy Spirit it needs to start with us. I'm wondering what is separating you from this relationship with God. Is it the way that you view him? Or have you become complacent? Have you grown in your relationship with God? Have you become an adolescent, a young adult, and now you've turned the other way? What in your life are you elevating above God? Remember, what defined their devotion to God, ancient Israel, was was the center of their identity. Okay, It's where they got validation. It's where they got purpose and it's where they got self-affirmation that was all founded in their relationship with God. It's how they define themselves, but it was also where they attributed all of their worth. Okay, in today's society, we are also compromised. Okay, we are in the presence of many, many gods. Okay, and we are in the presence of sex. We are in the presence of social media. We are in the presence of countless different things that pull us our attention away from God and our devotion away from God. 
Who or what are you worshiping above God? Okay, what are the idols in your life? Okay, today I was stuck in the lift for an hour, okay, in the morning service, just casually throwing it out there. And while I was sitting there, I realized that I'm preaching this evening, and I've just spent the last 10 minutes scrolling through Instagram. Okay? But how much of that, like, we say, God, I don't have time for you. God, I don't have time to pray. But how much time do we spend on our phones? Do we worship busyness? Is that how we find our validation? Do we worship how many likes we get on Instagram? Do we worship ourselves, the way that we look, the way that we feel? Do we worship a concept of God that is not biblical above the God that we are called to have the one devotion to? Okay, do we worship our circumstance? Do we worship our insecurities? What do you, worship can be defined as worth-ship. Okay, what do you place more worth in your life over God? And that's found in how much time we spend doing stuff. That's found in how much emphasis we place on that and allowing ourselves, we're allowing it to define us. I love my daughter, I love my wife, but they don't define me. What defines me is the fact that I'm a child of God. When we look at the history of Israel and look at the history of the church, the times that we see fresh renewal is when God was reframed and when people repented and turned away from their idols and turned back to the one God. If we want renewal in this country, if we want renewal in this world, it needs to start with us. It's something that we start seeing beautifully in this next passage, is that even though we have messed up, even though often we go our own way, God calls us home. How can I hand you over, Israel? How can I treat you like Adnah? How can I make you like Zeboam? My heart is changing within me and all my compassion is aroused. I will not carry out my fierce anger, nor will I devastate Ephraim again, for I am God and not a man the Holy One among you. I will not come against their cities. How can I give you up, Ephraim? They follow the Lord. They will follow the Lord. He will roar like a lion. When he roars, his children will come trembling from the west. They will come from Egypt, trembling like sparrows, from Assyria, fluttering like doves. I will settle them in their homes, declares the Lord. Something amazing that we start seeing during this frame of Israel um, in this, the next 700 years in the life of Israel is that even though they lose their homeland, there's this call to this devotion of the one God. And as they draw closer to God, we start seeing more and more prophecies coming out and um, pointing to God's salvation plan. Okay, if we have a look, if their identity is found in their salvation history, we start seeing God's grand plan. In verse 2, it says, I will bring my son out of Egypt. We start seeing prophetic words. Where, where did Jesus go as a refugee? Egypt. 
There's this prophetic imagery of your salvation plan. I will call you home. I will roar, and my children will hear my voice, and I'll bring them home. And where we see that absolutely encapsulated is through the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We see in John 14, 6, Jesus answered, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Okay, even though if we have fallen short, even though we walked away from God, God says, I will bring you back to me, and that is found through the work and the death and the life and the resurrection of Jesus. Okay, we're Christians. We follow after this Jesus guy. Okay, he's pretty important to our faith. Okay, if we want to follow after Jesus, if we want to be identified as Christian, then our, our cultural and cultic identity needs to be founded upon this man. Needs to be founded upon absolute devotion to this one God that is made evident through Jesus. Okay, we ask God, please renew this nation. Please renew this world. I'd like to ask you to start by praying, God, renew me. Reframe the way that I view you. Let me see you in your fullness. God, I repent of the things that I've elevated above you. Those idols that I've put in my life. Let me turn to you, Father. We see this love made evident through Jesus. One of the big things that I'm going to present to you now, I'm going to ask the worship team to please come up, is we see this development and this freedom, and we choose to go away from God. We see Israel choose to go away from him. God's calling, okay? The lion has roared, calling his children back home, and God's asking you, come back. Have devotion to me. Worship me, grow in your relationship with me, be transformed by the power of my grace. It's your choice. Are you going to continue on your way walking further and further away from God? Or are you going to come back to him? We see in the life of Israel that a decision to walk away from God ends in disaster. But when we come back to him, there's life, there's love, there's hope, there's peace. I want to challenge you just as we go into this time of worship. Um, there's some pretty big things that have come out during the sermon, and I just want to speak into that. Um, I believe that God wants to reframe the way that you view him. If when I asked you, how do you see God? If you saw him as anything less than loving, anything less than a good God, anything less than your best friend, um, love for you to come up and just unpack that a little bit. What are the things that are changing that? Is it a negative relationship with a parent? Is it a circumstance? Did something happen in your life that has called into question God's goodness? Do you need a little bit of reframing of who God is? And then secondly, I'm going to ask you to write down on your piece of paper, what are the idols that you're elevating above God? love for you to spend some time saying God I lift these up to you and I want to repent of these the word repent is a Greek term and it's a military term 
and it literally means to turn the other way. So turn 180 degrees. So when an army was marching and the commander said repent, they would turn around and march the other way. And that's the imagery that's coming around here. Is this God, I am sorry for these things that I've replaced above you. Stop putting steps into place that you turn the other way and start walking towards God. Instead of spending so much time on your phone comparing yourself to those people on Instagram, spend some time on the word comparing yourself to those words because one's edifying, one's not. Instead of spending so much time with friends, so much time being busy because that's the center of our validation, let's take a break and let's spend some time with Jesus. Instead of spending so much time working on our bodies, let's spend some time working on our time with Jesus, our spiritual life. I love what Hannah's doing, um, working through New Testament at Lent. Because New Testament is pretty long, um, and it's going to take more than just reading a chapter a day. Um, It's going to take a lot of reading, and it's sacrificial. That's one of those things, is that we worship convenience, and God calls us to be inconvenient. Because in that inconvenience, we point people closer to Jesus, and we point people closer to God. Because the reason why God chose Israel was to set them apart that they might be a blessing to other nations. It's the same as us. Our fundamental purpose in this world world is to walk with God, to know God, and to make God known. And the best way of doing that is walking in intimacy and love with our Father. I'm going to pray for you, and then I would love it if you came up. Don't be afraid to come and receive some prayer because our God is a God who transforms. You can see that in my life with coming from a very negative example of a father. I still don't have a relationship with my dad. He still cut me off completely. Um, God transformed me because of him, because of his forgiveness, because of his grace, because of his love. I can love my daughter and I can love my wife and I can love you guys. So I'm going to pray for you and then I'm going to hand over to the worship team and to the ministry team. Father God, I want to thank you that you are a God who transforms. I want to thank you that you are a God who calls us. I want to thank you that you are a God who is faithful. I want to thank you, Father God, that you are a Father. That you are a Father who lifts us up, that loves us, that kisses us on the cheek, that wants to be involved in our lives, who loves us absolutely, so much so that you give us a choice. You don't force us to follow you, but you give us the choice. I just pray, Father God, for people who, are, who have circumstances or who have baggage that's stopping us from viewing you in your fullness. I pray, Father God, that by the power of, the Holy, of your Holy Spirit, you'll heal us of that. That we'll be transformed by the renewal of our mind, Father. I pray, Lord, um, for all of the stuff that I've lifted up above you, that I place more worth on over you. I want to repent of that, Father God. And I just pray, Lord, that you'll send your Holy Spirit to convict me um, when I'm doing, when I'm worshiping stuff over you, when I'm scrolling endlessly through Instagram as opposed to spending time with my family or praying or reading the Bible or telling people about you. I pray, Father God, for a movement of your Holy Spirit. I pray for transformation. Send your Spirit, Lord. Amen. Please feel free to use that space during worship. And 
Praise team, worship team.